0: no purchase necessary, void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 3, 2, 1, 0. All engine running. Lift off. We have a liftoff. I had a snicker, because I don't want to get hangry during the show. <laughs> Sorry, it's been one of those days. Welcome, it's Eric Erickson here, News 95.5, AM 750 WSB. The phone number, 404 872 750 WSB Talk. Y'all, the Democrats today have become a parody. So they decided to do the anti-Semitism resolution in the U.S. House of Representatives. And they had to withdraw it from the floor in mid-debate. Do you have any idea why they had to withdraw it? I would like to say I'm making this up. I would like to say this is a joke, but it's not. It's actually serious. The Democrats and the United States House of Representatives in the middle of a debate on a resolution about anti-Semitism from their own members, no less. They had to withdraw the motion because they left out the Pacific Islanders and the Hispanic Caucus. So, <laughs> you can't make this up. <laughs> so, this is the final language now. This resolution targets uh, traditionally persecuted peoples. People is already, already plural, is it not? But nonetheless, traditionally persecuted peoples, including African Americans, Latinos. The Hispanic caucus wanted it to be a Latinos, not Hispanics, Latinos. Native Americans, Asian Americans, and Pacific Islanders and other people of color, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, the LGBTQ community, (laughs) and immigrants. (laughs) And why is it not the LGBTQIAATP? Because that's what it is now. What about the asexual and, and androgynous and, and the, the, the intersexed and all of You <laughs> can't make this up. This is a resolution at, at war with itself, if you will. It's actually really interesting to see the Muslims, the Hindus, the Sikhs, and the LGBT community all piled in together because they hate each other. <laughs> This is this is the Democratic Party at its finest, y'all. So they're actually debating this resolution that we hate hate. <laughs> that's that's it. We hate hate. We resolve that the House of Representatives hates hate. We're intolerant of intolerance. <laughs> oh my gosh, they, they actually had to withdraw it from the House floor because they forgot to include Hispanics and Pacific Islanders. I'm not making that up. <laughs> So they're going to vote on it. This is this is just, this is outrageous today. So so Nancy Pelosi actually she's she and the Democrats are now defending Representative Omar of Minnesota. By the way, um um uh, what's his name? What's his name? Um, the anti Semitic bigot. What's what's um could be anybody. No, it's not David Duke. It's it, um. Well, yes. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Uh, Louis Farrakhan. Rush Limbaugh always calls him Calypso Louis, and I'm like, well, what is his actual name? Louis Farrakhan. Louis Farrakhan has come out today and said that the the, the tropes are true. That was his actual tweet. The tropes are true. People are are attacking Representative Omar for, for these anti-Semitic tropes. And, and Farrakhan, who's defended her in the past, by the way, uh, for her anti-Semitism, is coming out and saying the tropes are true. So she's accusing people, basically, you you support Israel because the Jews are paying you to support Israel. That's what she said. And some Democrats say, this isn't anti-Semitic. We should talk about the money from the Israel lobby that's convincing people. I mean, I actually had somebody respond to me on Twitter today that it's not anti-Semitism to point out Jewish involvement in the elections. What the heck is going on with people? So here's Nancy Pelosi in her defense of Representative Omar. I understand how advocates come in uh, with their enthusiasms, um, but when you cross that threshold into Congress, your words weigh much more than when you're shouting at somebody (laughs) outside. And uh, I I feel confident that her words were not based on any anti-Semitic attitude, but that She didn't have a full appreciation of how they landed on other people where these words have a history and a cultural impact that might have been unknown to her. Might have been unknown to her. Why? Why might it have been unknown? Well, so you've actually got other Democrats, including the chairman of the House Coaches today, saying she grew up in Somalia. She doesn't know any better. So (laughs) it's okay that she's an anti-Semite. Because even though she's 37 and a college graduate from a fine American institution, she grew up in Somalia, so she's stupid. That's what the, that's the actual democratic defense of this woman today, is she's stupid because she grew up in Somalia. By the way, do you know who's one of the, the, the most famous um, defenders of Israel in the Arab world is? Is a refugee from Somalia who Muslim terrorists tried to kill. And so here comes this girl, and she's like, oh, the, the Jewish money, we got to talk about the Jewish money. The Jews are behind all of this, and, and, and the Jews are influencing and poisoning American politics. And the Democrats are ah, that's not anti-Semitism. She's just an idiot from Somalia. <laughs> this is their actual defense of this woman. And so today they can't actually stand up and say we oppose anti-Semitism. They, they, they have a legitimate problem, though. The Democrats do. Is this woman's going nowhere for the next year. She's going to be in Congress until the people of Minnesota possibly throw her out. And so if the Democrats were to pass a resolution today that explicitly condemns anti-Semitism, well, next week she's going to open her mouth again and say something else anti-Semitic. They're going to go, what about this? They're going to have this problem anyway. And what's so fascinating is, is that the progressives in the House of Representatives, the progressive caucus, like she didn't say anything wrong. The Jews really are buying off the election she didn't say anything wrong. The 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 APAC, the the American Israel Pu- Public Affairs Committee, they they really do buy votes. The Jews do that sort of thing. I mean, at some point we're going to get into blood matzah and, and the blood libel about Israel here. It's it's ridiculous. Paul Krugman, the the opinion writer from the New York Times, actually put out a tweet today that he doesn't worry about left wing anti semitism. He only worries about right wing anti semitism because they really mean it. I am not kidding you people. He actually did that. This is—so uh, the um, the Anti-Defamation League has had to get involved here. i got to play you the clip from the head of the Anti-Defamation League who was on CNN earlier. But first—oh, y'all, I'm sorry. We've got breaking news again. <laughs> they had to revise the resolution. While I've been talking and while Doug has been giving traffic, the Democrats have had to revise the resolution one more time. Because the Muslim Caucus thinks that they're elevating anti semitism over anti-Muslim bigotry. <laughs> this is this is like watching a slow, slow okay, I've got a slow-moving train wreck. I've got the updated resolution. Condemning anti-Semitism as hateful expressions of intolerance that are contradictory to the values and aspirations that define the people of the United States and condemning anti-Muslim discrimination and bigotry against minorities as hateful expressions of intolerance that are contrary to the values and aspirations of the United States, whereas the First Amendment – Established the United States as a country committed to the principles of tolerance and religious freedom, and the 14th Amendment establishes equal protection, blah, 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 blah. Whereas, whether the political right, center, or left, bigotry, discrimination, oppression, racism, and imputations of dual loyalty threaten American democracy and have no place in American political discourse. Whereas, white supremacists... In the United States, have exploited and continue to exploit bigotry and weaponize hate for political gain, targeting traditionally persecuted peoples, including African Americans, Latinos, Native Americans, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, people of color, Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Sikhs, the LGBTQ community, immigrants, and others with verbal attacks. Where's the women? They left out the women. Where are the women in this? This goes on and on and on and on and on and on. Oh my goodness gracious! Uh, every this is where intersectionalism comes in. Uh, that every every group that is discriminated against, possibly discriminated against, that they've got to be prioritized. They've got to be valued, and it, it's just. They've lost their minds on this. They literally had to revise it again while I was talking because they left out the Hispanics and the the Pacific Islanders and then brought it back and had to pull it again because they had to add anti-Muslim bigotry because they had forgotten to put in an express denunciation of anti-Muslim bigotry. Oh, my goodness. Okay, here's Greenblatt from the the Anti-Defamation League. Well, look, it's hard for me to say what's in Representative Omar's heart. But I have to deal with the reality of what she said again and again and again. And the fact of the matter is this accusation that Jews have a dual loyalty or require people to pledge allegiance to a foreign power, it is an anti-Semitic charge that has been used against the Jewish people literally for hundreds of years, long before there was a state of Israel. So we are offended by this anti-Semitism that is not only directed at the Jewish people, it is an un-American thing to say because accusations of loyalty to a foreign power, that was used against Japanese-Americans in World War II. It was used against Catholics when John F. Kennedy was running for president in 1960. It doesn't deserve a place in the public conversation, period. And yet the Democrats, they're saying, well, she just doesn't know. She's too stupid because she's from Somalia. That, that is their actual defense of her, that she's too stupid because she's from Somalia. She's college-educated. Been to the United States for college. Uh, Now she got elected. She's in her late 30s. She's in the United States Congress. This is just crazy. Uh, My listener, Camille, actually just emailed me. What's happening with this resolution is the madness that comes from identity politics and the criminalization of thought. Yes, that is it. This whole – Idea that we have this is class warfare. Everybody's going to be divided up based on class, based on race, based on based on sex, based on all of these different characteristics. We can't all be Americans. The the Democrats exploit this division, and now it's blowing up in their face, and they can't actually even react to it, and they can't react to it in large part because it's coming not from their far left fringes, it's coming from mainstream leftists. So just a quick pause here, word for our sponsors. Uh, And you know, this one, real world situation. I woke up Saturday morning and I had a bunch of text messages from Twitter, someone trying to change my password. Now they all uh, connect me through my cell phone. And using two factor authentication. But man, uh, you got to worry about cyber crimes these days and people trying to steal your passwords, your credit card details. A buddy of mine went to China a while back and needed a VPN service because the Chinese are really, really snoopy. And he used ExpressVPN. And you know, you can protect yourself from cyber criminals and Chinese snoops by using ExpressVPN. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data, it hides your public IP address, it's got easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer your phone your tablet turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes a click and it's for less than seven dollars a month that you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that i have recommended to so many people it's the rated the number one vpn service by tech radar comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee so protect yourself online today find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash eric that's e-x-p-r-e-s svpn.com slash Eric for three months free with a one-year package. And remember, my name is E-R-I-C-K. Go to expressvpn.com slash Eric to learn more. Y'all, this mic boom in this studio needs a little blue pill because it is very droopy. I have to keep pushing it back. And it drops again. It's very droopy. Very, very very bad in any event. You notice one thing that the Democrats' resolution doesn't include? That would be Christians. That's right. Let me me read you again one of the lines from the Democratic resolution. Whereas the First Amendment to the Constitution established the United States as a country committed to the principles of tolerance and religious freedom, and the Fourteenth Amendment to the Constitution established equal protection of the laws at the heart of justice in the United States— Amen, hallelujah. And yet Senate Democrats are openly opposing people for federal judgeships because they're Christians, because they're members of the Knights of Columbus, among other things. The the Democrats are totally okay discriminating against Christians because of intersectionalism. White male Christians are perceived to be the oppressors in this country. And so it's okay to not include them in a resolution that – uh, it condemns bigotry against the, the, the Jew, the Muslim, the Hindu, the Sikh, the LGBTQ community, the Pacific Islanders, you name it. can include the Christians in that resolution. Nope, can't do that because, well, it, it's okay to target them because, you know, they deserve it. This is where we're getting, you know, I, there is a real hatred of, of mayonnaise in this country. And the mayonnaise industry is employs a lot of people to put that glorious condiment on tables here in the south we could not have some of our most famous salads without mayonnaise you got to have it for the potato salad you got to have it for the chicken salad you got to have it for the tuna salad <clears throat> and yet there is this rise of people willing to defame mayonnaise and the producers of mayonnaise they that should be <clears throat> in the resolution as well it should be totally—the uh, United States House of Representatives should be totally opposed to people who show anti-mayonnaise bigotry, and yet that's not in there either. I'm I'm really appalled by this. I'm really, really appalled by this. Now we know. Christians and people who like mayonnaise, they can be discriminated against. The Democrats say so. Maybe, you know, as I'm talking about, they may have withdrawed it again to, to, to add that. I mean— <laughs> Who knows? And you know, there's no anti-midget bigotry in this resolution as well. The midgets get put down. How many times have people called into this program and asked uh, who would win a lion or a group of midgets? The, the anti-midget bigotry out there. that needs to be condemned by the House of Representatives as well. They're not doing this. We got the LGBTQ. they left out the IAATP. You got the the Muslims, the Pacific Islanders, the Hispanic. nope, can't can't add any of these other people. Shame on the House Democrats for not being totally inclusive. This is the madness where we're headed, people. It really is. Now, we need to move into madness at the state level. Actually, we got some good news at the state level. We have an uplifting story from the state level the House of Representatives in Georgia, it looks like they may be passing fetal heartbeat legislation. Uh, the governor of Georgia, Brian Kemp, has come out in support of this legislation. Meanwhile, a member of the state House of Representatives wanted to set aside one day a year for the state to recognize the fight against childhood cancer. And David Ralston killed the resolution. Killed a resolution to support the fight against childhood cancer. Do you have any reason why? Do you have any guess? Because the sponsor is on the resolution to oust the speaker. So we can't have a day set aside to remember the fight against childhood cancer because he's that petty. Phone number here at WSB is 404-872-0750, wsb talk and we're going to go to phones now, starting with Steve, calling from Gainesville. Steve, welcome. Hey, Eric. Thanks for uh, letting me on the show. Uh, with Two things. I've got a friend, actually, that happens to work down there, and uh, Sherry Gilligan's Childhood Cancer Day, I heard, is not the only thing that's been pulled. I've heard uh, retaliation against almost everybody that signed on has occurred. Yep. Uh, But the other thing that uh, the question I had for you was, why is why is this story, in your opinion, not getting more television coverage from CNN, Fox News, the way that the Virginia governor scandal has kind of really, you know, that stuff has kicked up? Because it's not about race. Uh, It's not about race and it's not about President Trump. And these days. The national media only covers these stories if they're about race or President Trump, uh, in which the Virginia story played into perfectly. Um, If this was an election year, uh, it absolutely would be getting wall-to-wall coverage on CNN, MSNBC, and other networks uh, because it would be perceived to help the Democrats. Uh, So next year, we can expect this story. It'll be old news for all of us. But next year, uh, wall-to-wall national media coverage, I suspect, will occur uh, over the Speaker. Uh, unless they oust him. But yeah, yeah what Steve is pointing out, yeah, I mentioned before the break, Sherry Gilligan, author a resolution, uh, to basically praise the fight against childhood cancer. To set a day aside on the legislative calendar to commemorate uh, those who fight against childhood cancer. The Speaker killed it because Gilligan is on the resolution to oust the Speaker. So the Speaker... Is so petty and vindictive that he was willing to kill a resolution uh, commending the fight against childhood cancer. <laughs> you can't make this stuff up. By the way, this is a prime example of why there are so few people there and why you have so many lawyers and judges coming out to defend the speaker. Got a lot of defense attorneys, even some district attorneys and judges who are going to say, "Oh, the speaker did nothing wrong." Never mind that this case got, got it continued for eight years? This stuff sort of happens. It's because they're scared of the speaker. They know how petty and vindictive he is. It's hilarious that he stood on the floor of the house. And, I'm not petty and I'm not vindictive and I'm not paranoid. I do declare. I, I am I am none of those things. I'm going to kill your resolution on childhood cancer, though. <laughs> this is exactly who he is now. Uh, one thing that did uh, make it out of committee, probably because it, its chief proponents uh, refused to sign the resolution to house. the speaker, is the fetal heartbeat legislation that once you get to a fetal heartbeat, abortion would be drastically restricted in the state of Georgia. And it is on the floor of the House. We'll see if it makes it through. The speaker was working earlier to kill it, but I think I've had several well, I've had several people tell me that it looks like, uh, he's worried the conservatives may turn on him and sign the resolution to oust him so he may let it go through, hoping it will be killed in the Senate. Governor Kemp has actually come out for this legislation. Governor Kemp putting the weight of the governor's office behind the fetal heartbeat legislation. He released a, YouTube, or a Facebook video here just a little while ago. Georgia is a state that values life. We shield the vulnerable and shelter the innocent. I applaud the Health and Human Services Committee for advancing legislation to protect the unborn. I encourage the House and the Senate to do the same. This is a powerful moment in Georgia. It's bigger than politics and partisanship. Let's champion life today and ensure that all Georgians, including the unborn, have the chance to live, grow and prosper. Thank you and God bless. There you go, the governor of Georgia now putting his weight behind it. It is crossover day. For those of you who are new to Georgia politics, Today is the day where legislation has to cross from one house to the other in order to still be viable. If it doesn't get passed today, uh, then it's got to be added to something that comes over from the other house, uh, legislative maneuvering. So this is one of the big ones, uh, fetal heartbeat. Uh, The Democrats vehemently opposed to it. We'll see how many Republicans oppose it on the floor of the state house. The other big legislation coming over is the airport bill. Passed the Senate today. That scandal is the gift that keeps on giving Senator Burt Jones. Now to the phones. Richard from Cartersville. You're up next. Welcome. Hey, Eric. First time caller. I love your show, man. Thank you. Wanted to find out if you knew the vote count on House Bill 198 uh, for the certificate of need for hospitals. Uh, I believe it has been held up. Uh, Let's see here. Um, There was a Senate version and a House version. And yep. I let's see. I'm I'm looking on the the legislative tracker here. Uh, we'll do this together, Richard. Let's see. House Bill 198 uh, this session. And survey says uh, it hasn't been voted upon. Um, House committee favorably reported by substitute. Um, but there hasn't been a vote on it. They're going to go there all night tonight, um, so probably by midnight or so before they adjourn for the night, it may get a vote. But as of right now, no vote on that. Now, what, what is that? The certificates of need situation? This is part of the healthcare reform package. Uh, it's very interesting. The, the interesting dynamic here in that uh, nonprofit hospitals want a certificates of need law, and it means that if you want to start another competing hospital facility, you got to show that there's a need for the facility. And the nonprofits say we got to do this. Otherwise, people are going to potentially go to the profitable place and they're not going to come here. And we're going to lose money on indigent care. And we're not going to have insurance payments from the insured to cover those costs. So you got to have certificates of need. Well, if you want to get a waiver around Obamacare in Washington, D.C., you got to get rid of certificates of need. So the state is trying to do an Obamacare waiver. To serve the poor in Georgia who need supplemental health care insurance, they have to have a certificate of need to do this, a certificate of need waiver to do this. Well, the rural hospitals are saying we're not going to support changing certificate of need law until you get the waiver. And the people who support the waiver say, wait a second, we can't get the waiver unless we pass this law. So they're kind of at loggerheads with each other over this. And by the way, the people who say they need the certificates of need legislation to be gone, they're right. Uh, The Obama administration was very firm that if your state has certificates of needs, you can't get a waiver from Obamacare. And so states were repealing certificates of need. And the Trump administration has continued that. They actually agree with it. And and I do, too. Uh, Certificates of need disrupt uh, free market healthcare forces. And so you should get rid of certificates of need. And time and time again, there actually is uh, pl- there are plenty of research out there that shows certificates of need do tend to drive up costs, so get rid of them. Costs tend to go back down. But you can't tell the rural hospitals this because they depend on certificates of need to stay in business, or so they think. I want you guys to remember a name. Say her name. It's Cynthia Newman. Remember the name Cynthia Newman. If you have a prayer list, put Cynthia Newman on your prayer list. Uh, Cynthia Newman is a hero. Cynthia Newman was the dean of Ryder University's College of Business Administration. She is a longtime academic and a highly regarded academic. Ryder University, which is in New Jersey, uh, had a student uh, group that supported putting a Chick-fil-A on campus. Uh, Overwhelmingly popular idea among the students at Ryder University was putting a Chick-fil-A on campus. But the LGBTQIAATP group complained and the president of the university said, we cannot have a Chick-fil-A on our campus because it is a bigoted chicken sandwich. We cannot have the bigoted chicken sandwich on our campus. Apparently, there are people who are opposed to a piece of chicken and a pickle between two buttered buns. And they was having none of it. They they literally, they canceled the Chick-fil-A. Uh, that the students wanted because the Chick-fil-A is a bigoted institution, according to the president of the university. And this is where Cynthia Newman, the dean of the College of Business Administration, comes in. She resigned. She said that the values uh, that Chick-fil-A professors are the values she believes in. It's not bigotry. It's Christianity. She believes in traditional morality. She is a practicing evangelical Christian. And she always assumed that her college – believed in, in her and supported her and did not perceive her a bigot. But considering the college has decided that Chick-fil-A is a bigoted, discriminatory institution, they must feel the same way about other Christians, and she's one of them, so she does not think she has a place on campus anymore, and she quit. She quit based on her conviction and principles, and she's being ridiculed by the left, by the way. This is ridiculous. This is the dumbest reason ever to quit your job. I, I've seen this. There, are left, Left-wing websites are ridiculing her for quitting on principle. She's absolutely right and she should be commended and good for her. Cynthia Newman is her name. Put her on your prayer list if you got a prayer list. She's out of a, she's out of work right now. I'm sure she'll be able to find a job somewhere, but it is ridiculous. The students at Rider University wanted a Chick-fil-A. A small group of those students complained and the university administration said, "Yep, you're absolutely right. Chick-fil-A is a discriminatory organization." And so we won't have them here. And the reason for their discrimination, according to the president university is because they are evangelical Christians. And so Cynthia Newman says, I'm one of those. I guess I shouldn't work here. And she resigned. Um, we don't really hear about stories like this these days and not many people do these sorts of things. And she was willing to live up to her values and take what she thought was a principled stand. So good for her. Now, when we come back, The Atlanta airport, two dead mayors airport, will it possibly be handed over to the state of Georgia? The Senate today, the Georgia Senate, passed legislation that would take control of two dead mayors, Atlanta International Airport, and hand it over to the state of Georgia to a new authority. And I think it's a good thing. And Democrats are livid. And there are outside groups that are livid. The mayor of Atlanta is livid. And it all comes a day after... The indictment of Jeff Jafari from that group that um, was giving kickbacks, getting contracts. Scandal, scandal. we got to get into that. But there's more we have to get into as well when we come back, not just the airport resolution pass. There's other stuff that passed. And by the way, I was just told that the certificates of Need legislation died in the House of Representatives. They killed that. It puts into jeopardy Brian Kemp's health care reform as well. We'll get into that when we come back. running liftoff. we have a liftoff. why hello there it is the second hour it is eric erickson here news 955 am 750 wsb and i'm a, a, a bad host i have failed on tuesday to recognize my my heritage and upbringing by commenting on mardi gras in the past we've always played zadego music on mardi gras and i just didn't think about it this year we had a sick, sick wife scrambling to get the kids, uh, going to soccer practice, all that. It, it was it was a bit burdensome. And yesterday, Ash Wednesday. You know, w- one of the upsides of having social media is you're less likely to now find people who make derisive comments about those who have gone to Ash Wednesday services because they know that it's not a smudge on their forehead. Um, but I, I bring this up because I actually got an email from a listener Uh, asking what I gave up for Lent that I had not mentioned it. I have given up moderation and exercise for Lent. I want to just embrace gluttony for 40 days. Now, I, I look. I, I'm I'm a Calvinist. We we don't do anything for Lent. Um, Lent is just it, it is a day on the calendar. It's a 40 day period that that we don't celebrate. So if you want to give up something for like God bless you for giving something up for Lent. I've given up giving up things for Lent because uh, my Reformed traditions. But nonetheless, uh, where do we get Lent from? It is not from the dryer. <clears throat> where does lint come from? Well, okay, so. Lent was really ratified in uh, the, the Council of Nicaea in the 300s AD, uh, 325, I think, 326, somewhere there, maybe 323. But uh, it was an ongoing tr- tradition, and, and it morphed. Uh, it's where monasticism largely comes from as well, the same the same point in history. See, so the early Christian church uh, was persecuted, uh, persecuted throughout the Roman Empire. Christians fed to the lions, nailed to crosses, it just uh, awful things happened to them. Well, funny thing happened along the way. Uh, Constantine became emperor, Christianized the empire. The The empire was not actually made officially Christian until Theodosius, Emperor Theodosius, who decided he was a, a Nicene Christian at the time. See, you, you know the whole Trinity thing matters. Uh, the Council of Nicaea, people really fought and died over uh, whether or not the Trinity is real. That's why uh, Orthodox Christianity doesn't include uh, Mormons or Jehovah's Witness into Christianity uh, because of the Council of Nicaea. So after Christians were no longer killed and executed, well, when they were killed and executed, they developed a tradition that you needed to know what you were going to get into because the odds were, if you became a Christian, you were going to die. And so people needed to know, they needed to know that. And so for a 40 day period before Easter, Easter was a big holiday. They weren't regularly celebrating Christmas at the time because, uh, birthdays were considered pagan to celebrate, so at the time, and we're talking 45 AD after after Christ, about the time the Gospel of Mark is actually put down on paper uh, into the the 300s AD period when Christians are ruthlessly being persecuted. they're no longer considered a sect of Judaism. they're they're out on their own, they've been pushed out of the synagogues, they're being persecuted and they wanted people to have 40 days before Easter, Before they were baptized on Easter Sunday to know what they were getting into, to know they were going to be persecuted, to know they could be killed, and to understand what the faith was. And remember, you got to understand that in most places they didn't have Scripture when this tradition started. Uh, Christianity was still new. Everything was spread by word of mouth. You had Paul traveling around telling people. Uh, You had the other apostles until they were all uh, exterminated by the Romans. What was going on? They began to compile the letters. They began to trade the letters from Paul. They began to trade the gospel letters. You still had John out there preaching until 100 AD, and everyone kind of settled on this pattern of you need to know what you're getting into, and to really hone it in, they spent 40 days fasting and studying. When the gospel letters were circulated, they would study the gospel letters. They would study Paul's letters, and then on Easter Sunday, if the people were really committed and they really wanted to do this— they would be baptized and be welcomed into what was then called the Brotherhood. But they had to know, well, once the empire was Christian, what do you do with it? So what happened was when the the empire began to become Christianized, you you ran into two problems. One, what do you do with this 40-day period as people are generally embracing it? Well, the Council of Nicaea decided we're going to continue this tradition of setting aside a time of fasting Uh, people are going to give up something, uh, because you used to give up essentially being a part of society. Before the empire was Christianized, you largely gave up being a a part of the empire by becoming a Christian because you couldn't participate in anything. Well, now we're going to give up something physical, something that we really like. We're going to give it up as a reminder of what the early Christians used to give up. And uh, on Easter Sunday, we're going to have people declaring they're actually coming into the faith and being baptized. Well, that wasn't good enough for some people. For some people, you know, the persecution actually meant something. If you were put upon by the Romans, it really meant you were committed to your faith. It was a level of pride. If you read the writings of Ignatius, Ignatius was uh, with a guy named Polycarp. They were both committed students of the Apostle John. It's one reason we know that John actually wrote the Gospel of John, and John actually wrote uh, John 1 and one and 2 and 3 in the Bible and Revelation is because these were his students. They, they were with him. They could vouch for him, yes, John wrote these things. Well, Ignatius, if you ever read Ignatius' writings, he really lived, he really wrote letters to people, and he was all about Persecution! Don't try to stop me from being a martyr. I'm going to go be a martyr for Jesus. The, the animals are going to eat me alive. He was actually carried into the Colosseum, disemboweled, and the animals ate him. And he wanted no one to talk him out of it, no one to try to stop it, no one to get him out of it, because this was—he was dying for the Lord. Well, that passion started going away when the empire was Christianized. No one was going to die for Jesus once the empire was Christianized. So a, a group of people, they call themselves the, the, the monos uh, for one— that they decided to go out into the wilderness, and they became the monos, monosus became the monks, and they would live out in the wilderness by themselves as a proof of how committed they were to the faith. Anyone now could be a Christian. Everybody declared themselves Christians. Most of them weren't, but they said they were because Constantine was, and they wanted to get close to Constantine. So these were the most committed people. They would pack up, and they would leave. They would head to the desert, and they would be monks. And it all came about, Lent came about it the same way, as, as to how do we show we're still committed to the faith now that everybody else is Christian? What do we do to actually show our commitment? And people embrace the idea of Lent, and people embrace the idea of monasticism. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite early Christians, Athanasius, actually wrote a very famous book called, um, oh, what is it? Um, St. Anthony, uh, a study of, of a of a monk, Anthony the Monk. And that book was highly influential on Augustine becoming a Christian as well. It was one of the most popular books of the time, chronicling this hermit who lived out in the desert. And Athanasius had had spent some time with him when he was in flight from persecution. So that's why we have the Lenten season still. It all goes back to uh, the very early history of the church when people needed to understand what they were getting into. And once no one was going to be killed for their faith— they wanted to keep their tradition alive, and the Council of Nicaea set it aside these 40 days before Easter, where you would give up something tangible that you liked. Uh, and and focus on that as you headed into Easter and a celebration of getting things back. Um, So there's your history lesson of the day. Now, we'll return to the state legislature. There are all sorts of developments going on, rural transportation legislation passing, uh, the certificates of need legislation dying in the House of Representatives, fetal heartbeat trying to make it out of the House of Representatives this afternoon, and the airport legislation moving to the House of Representatives. No one really knows what's going to happen there. Brian Kemp being very, very quiet on whether or not he will support the resolution or not, if it gets the votes. So just a quick pause here, word for our sponsors. Uh, And you know, this one, real world situation, I woke up Saturday morning and I had a bunch of text messages from Twitter, someone trying to change my password. Now, they all uh, connect me through my cell phone and uh, using two-factor authentication, but man... Uh, You got to worry about cyber crimes these days and people trying to steal your passwords, your credit card details. A buddy of mine went to China a while back and needed a VPN service because the Chinese are really, really snoopy and he used express VPN. And, you know, you can protect yourself from cyber criminals and Chinese snoops by using express VPN. It secures and makes anonymous your internet browsing by encrypting your data. It hides your public IP address. It's got easy to use apps that run seamlessly in the background of your computer, your phone, your tablet. Turning on ExpressVPN protection only takes a click, and it's for less than $7 a month that you can get the same ExpressVPN protection that I have recommended to so many people. It's the rated the number one VPN service by TechRadar. It comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So protect yourself online today. Find out how you can get three months free at ExpressVPN.com slash Eric. That's R E S. SVPN.com slash eric for three months free with a one-year package. And remember, my name is E-R-I-C-K. Go to expressvpn.com slash eric to learn more. Uh, this democratic resolution, it was only a couple of years ago that a man walked into a church in Sutherland, Texas, and began gunning down congregants in that church. Uh, The Democrats in the resolution, they list several instances of houses of worship uh, where violence occurred, Uh, but yet they don't want to add Christians to the resolution. They'll add Hindus, Sikhs, Muslims, Jews, but no Christians. So why is that, you think? Uh, Meanwhile, Democrats in the Senate are openly opposing nominees because they are, quote, uh, too filled with orthodoxy. That that's actually Diane Feinstein opposed Amy Bar- Amy Comey Barrett because she was uh, the orthodoxy ran deep in her, according to uh, Diane Feinstein. Wow. The phone number here 404-872-0750-1800. WSB Talk. Uh, let us go to the phones to Ken in Snellville. Welcome. Hi Eric. I talked with you once before. Quick question. Um. As a Catholic, you know, we were taught that Lent goes back to the story of Jesus being in the desert and being tempted by the devil, you know, over a 40-day period. And uh, you're very well versed. You know, uh, I love listening to your historical takes on things, but I didn't hear you mention that tie-in, if at all. And I wondered if— Yeah, so that that is a—I'm glad you raised that issue, um, because I didn't. Um, So in the early um, Church—this is pre nicene creed—it really wasn't about that. Um, It it was all about making sure people understood what was going to be a part of their faith, the persecution they could expect. Uh, At the Council of Nicaea and thereafter, however— um, they did begin to extrapolate on the 40 days in the wilderness, uh, and, and it is carried over. There's actually no historic evidence I'm aware of that shows that that was the 40-day period early Christians were contemplating. There was an issue of 40 days um, for them. They got the 40-day symbolism of the flood and the 40-day symbolism of the wilderness, and so they wanted people to have 40 days. Um, but it was only after Nicaea that it began really being more and more directly tied to the idea of Jesus in the wilderness and drifting away from, uh, the connection between both, uh, Noah and, uh, Jesus. Uh, so many stories in the Bible. We'll just never know what's what. Yeah. Well, I, I, I take them all as real. It's just the history that comes after, um, But it really is a fascinating – it's just – it's fascinating history to me where we get so much um, history. In fact, uh, I'm sure you probably have heard the phrase not an iota of difference. Uh, A lot of people say that an iota of difference – that actually comes from the Council of Nicaea as well. They were debating the nature of Christ, and they had two different Greek words, homoousis and homoeosis. One had an I, one didn't, and some said there's not an iota of difference between the two. Uh, For the the Nicians, it mattered – uh, the, the nature of Christ. Uh, so that's where the the phrase comes from. That's also the Council of Nicaea is where Santa Claus uh, punched the heretic. Uh, yes, uh, y- if you've ever seen the Christmas meme that floats around that I, I came with uh, to punch the heretics and to deliver presents and I'm all out of presents. Uh, yes, uh, St. Nicholas was at the Council of Nicaea and he beat up the heretic for denying Christ's divinity. Constantine had him strict, uh, stripped of his bishopric garments thrown in jail and the next day uh, when people woke up he was wearing his garments and no one knows how he got them. And he became a marveled figure within Christianity. Now, when we come back, the airport, speaking of things flying around the airport, we got to get into this. I have to say I'm, I'm, Watching the conventional wisdom pour in on the fetal heartbeat bill in the state house, um, Pew and Gallup both have polling out. Pew is the most recent, showing a huge swing towards the pro-life cause, uh, but more importantly, that majority of women support restrictions on abortion. Uh, Yet the conventional wisdom is it's awful to do this. Uh, Maybe it is, but I don't think it is. The polling suggests otherwise, and yet... That's how this fetal heartbeat legislation is being um, considered. Uh, Likewise. Uh, we've got the airport legislation, the city of Atlanta trying to draw backlash on it. Uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms very opposed to it, but she's not helped by the headlines of more indictments in the corruption scandal out of, out of City Hall. And it's not her fault. Let's be very clear here. Uh, Keisha Lance Bottoms, uh, she is in no way implicated in this scandal. It's, it's Kasim Reed's doing. And to some degree, she is being uh, forced to pay a price for his uh, corruption in his administration. But that legislation is advancing to the House of Representatives. Uncertain fate in the House. Brian Kemp keeping mum on it. We'll get to it. But first, I want to go to the phones. Rhonda from Grayson is up next. Rhonda, welcome. Hi. First of all, I want to start off by saying that I think that the anti-Semitic stuff by the senator was wrong. But my problem with the whole issue is the fact that when Trump says racist things or says things that, as African-American, I find offensive, The Republican Party always makes excuses, and they never condemn it. They always say, oh, it's not a dog whistle. Oh, it doesn't mean white supremacy. And it does. So the same way that Jewish people feel about what she says is exactly about how I feel about what Trump says. I don't like to see the Republican Party hold him accountable. I think that the Republicans after Charlottesville, um, they should have been more forceful. A lot of them came out and said the president's response wasn't. Good. Uh, some of them actually called it bad, but you're right. They never did pass a resolution. Although, let's be clear here: the Democrats today couldn't pass a resolution condemning the anti-Semitism of a member of the House of Representatives. They had to pass an "All Lives Matter Except the Christians" resolution. Uh, they, they weren't targeting her, and in fact, even Steve King, the Democrats and Republicans both were willing to name Steve King, but but they couldn't do that today because a number of progressives in the House of Representatives refused to acknowledge that what she said was anti-Semitic. Rhonda, thank you very much for your call and, and for noting that she said anti-Semitic things. I, I hope you appreciate that here. I've been willing to call out the president for these things, and I have called for Republican leaders to do so as well. But if you had a Democrat in the White House who said what this uh, Representative Omar said, don't hold your breath on Democrats uh, doing any different from the Republicans. We, we both like to think that our party is superior— uh, Republicans are being disabused of that notion in these years, but the Democrats are no better when it comes to these things. So they couldn't even take the moral high ground against a freshman member of Congress today. They would never do it against their own side. So let's, let's not pretend that one party is somehow better than the other party. Now. On the issue of the airport, as it makes its way to the House of Representatives, uh, did not get any Democratic support in the Senate. It is not going to get any Democratic support in the House. The question is, do they lose the speaker and do they lose uh, ranking members of the Senate? So uh, the airport legislation would form an airport authority. I have suggested that it not just be about Atlanta. One of the issues that we have in the state of Georgia is because of the the quasi-monopoly that Delta has, uh, we are cramped for a second airport. Delta doesn't want the competition. They've already got Southwest. Look at the lengths that the airport and Delta went through to try to make it hard for JetBlue to put a hub in Atlanta. There is down the road from us, believe it or not, hour, 20, hour, and 30 minutes down the road from us is the Middle Georgia Regional Airport. Uh, The Middle Georgia Regional Airport can handle 737s. It can handle MD-80s. It can handle the, the regional jets. It can't handle much more than a 757 because of its runway size. It needs 500 more feet for the FAA to allow that. Um, you put the Atlanta Airport and the Middle Georgia Regional Airport in an authority governed by the state instead of the corrupt incompetence of local governments, suddenly you're giving people options. Now, I know there is a fantasy of having another airport on the north side of Atlanta. I can tell you I have talked to ample people who have looked at this over the years and who favor the idea, and they have all come to the same conclusion— There ain't any land north of Atlanta where you could build an airport. There's this thing called a mountain, and they begin to start growing on the north side of Atlanta. There's also this thing called urban sprawl on the north side of Atlanta. Um, Between the mountains and the urban sprawl, uh, the land costs to be able to build an airport north of Atlanta is extraordinarily high. You do have the airport in Lawrenceville. You do have the – PDK, But the PDK ain't happening because of the neighborhood. Uh, You do have the Fulton County Airport, uh, but that's not happening either because of the situation around there. And Paulding County wants an airport. Delta has vigorously fought it. Paulding would actually be the only other viable option. But you have all these people who live south of the city now, and and the corridor between Atlanta and Macon is growing thicker with people. You could divert some of the pressure down there. I just think that an airport authority needs more than just the Atlanta airport in it. I do support this, though. I support the legislation for one significant reason. The Atlanta airport is the economic engine of Georgia, not just Atlanta. And I don't think having the mayor of the city of Atlanta and the mayor's cronies in charge of the airport is a good idea. This level of corruption has been going on for a long time. And there's a historic reason for the reason the way the airport is set up. I don't think most people realize that the mayor basically picks the people who then pick the people who run the airport. And city council of Atlanta really has no oversight over this. And the reason is because historically Atlanta, remember, was the city too busy to hate. And you didn't want to have a bunch of bigots uh, possibly blocking uh, contracts. To black vendors at the airport, you put the mayor in charge. The mayor was the fairest person, needed a bipartisan, biracial coalition to get elected. No one had to worry about the airport. Um, having uh, white white supremacists trying to to steal airport contracts from uh, black contractors, you didn't have to worry about the racial issues. And by and large, over time, you didn't have to worry about a lot of corruption issues either because we've had competent mayors. Other than Bill Campbell we had issues with and Kasim Reed we've had issues with. Atlanta's done a good job. But the city is changing. And uh, the level of corruption is changing. The financial incentives to be corrupt are changing. You're never going to weed those out completely from the state level either, but they will be different, and you will have a board of oversight, making it very, very difficult for one person to steer a bunch of money around to friends. A board and an airport authority would minimize corruption. You're never going to get rid of it. Let's just acknowledge it. But it would minimize it in ways the city of Atlanta will not do and cannot do. And we should not have the economic engine of the entire state of Georgia that consumes state resources, by the way, be handed off to a single person in a single city. It is a state airport. It may call itself the Atlanta Two Dead Mayors International Airport. But it is a state economic engine, and the state should have say in how it is run. And given the current corruption issues in City Hall, the indictments and whatnot, it makes sense to do it now. 56 after the hour. (laughs) Making sure he's paying attention in there. I saw him having a conversation. Needed to make sure. Um, point of clarification. Cynthia Newman, the dean from Ryder University's College of Business Administration. She's going to remain on faculty there. She has tenure, um, but she's out of the administration. Uh, so she did not resign as a faculty member. Real quick. Have you guys heard the story about the outraged hipster? This is probably the funniest story of the week. Uh, outraged hipster sees a study. The study uh, has a picture of him and his flannel wear and his little beanie hat thing. Uh, and it, it, the study basically says that as as hipsters try to be more and more distinct and unique and look different, they all wind up looking alike. Uh, and that there's a mathematical proof for this, that the more you try to look different, Distinguished and unique and separate from everyone else, the more you wind up looking like everyone else in the herd. Uh, So he's outraged, uh, demanding they take his picture out of there. Uh, It turns out it's not him. It's somebody else who wears the same clothes. Another hipster. Point proven.